Hello and welcome to a new edition of Bills from Afar. You're with me, Tim Roger, my co-host, Charlie. Charlie, how are you doing? It's been a while, my friend. It has been a while. Yeah, I've been, uh, been traveling quite a bit with work. Um, usual head down and focus on all the, you know, <laughs> the aspects of work that everybody knows about. But I have had, I've had a couple of good experiences. I uh, managed to get a tour of SoFi Stadium a couple of weeks ago, which was uh, which was pretty cool. Um and uh, yeah, that was that was good fun. I managed to get down the field and uh, throw a few balls around, which just felt like a bit of a privilege. Um, got in the dressing rooms for the Rams and the Chargers, and yeah, it was just interesting to see a you know a new stadium and, and how it's all set up. And it's, it's pretty fancy, I have to say, pretty fancy. So you're saying that you threw a few balls around, but I know that yeah. when we've been previously, that I think you said you were the only one that actually was at this tour, like at this time, That's and right, yeah. stuff like. <laughs> so did so, you just chuck it to yeah, the guy? Yeah, sorry, then? yeah you... there was some people on the on the tours that ended up on the field at the same time. But uh, yeah, so so if anybody's sort of passing through LA, yeah, there are uh, tours of so far you can book. Um, it's a bit of a pain in the backside to find. Like you, know, you can obviously see the stadium because it's all being redeveloped. That area, you know, Inglewood, it's not got you know the, the best reputation, I suppose. Um, you know, you might sort of place that gets quoted in Tarantino films as, as sort of a bit of a rough area. Um, but that's where they built the um the SoFi Stadium and next door is the um you know the West Coast head of, of NFL media. Um mm. so it's all areas all under the development. They're building a new stadium for the Clippers. Um but just trying to get to the stadium was a was a bit bit crazy. So I, I turned up this this tour a little bit late because I was trying to find where to park and where where to go in. And uh then yeah the guy turns up he's I was just turns out it was just me on the tour. So even though I booked the cheapest like low rent tour he just took me everywhere anywhere and everywhere and um yeah it was it was very cool uh have a personal tour of SoFi Stadium so for the same price as I don't know what anyone else will pay for that. So it was uh, but it was good. It was yes it's interesting. I kind of interesting stadiums was see the bills having a new one built it was cool to see something yeah. different i suppose as well like just thinking about the stadiums you've been to in the u.s mm. that's probably like the like, well or clearly it's the newest but in terms of like your, your other stadiums i think quite a lot of them are a bit older is that right oh yeah yeah for sure game, i mean when you visit games so it's funny people get very i don't know uh, precious about stadiums uh, you know yeah. I mentioned to a couple of people that I'm going to the, the Washington game the Washington Commanders yeah. game and they go oh the stadium's terrible I'm like oh you probably weren't watching uh, you know, Division 4 football in in the, in the late <laughs> 1980s early 90s and um, you know the stadiums that we've seen in this country and our sort of soccer stadiums you know Premier League grounds typically these days are pretty nice. Um, I even went to Bristol City this this season, and that was a pretty nice stadium. But you know, a lot of them are not great. Um, and so the people that complain about you know the, the Ralph and stuff, I go, it's fine. <laughs> it's more about the people to me than anything else. But um, but still, it was nice to see something sort of shiny and new and polished, and it's kind of unique in in, in many ways because it although it's got a roof, a fairly substantial roof, it's it's open air so it's open on both sides and so the temperature is outside is the same temperature inside but the the roof kind of protects you from from the sunburn obviously it's la so it's a pretty warm place um but yet you know it felt sort of humid and normal temperature in, in inside the stadium um it, it's my interest do you know how many seats is so far have you got a feeling for how big <clears> it is um we, we might have probably predict yeah, I'd probably predict on the smaller scale, just because that seems to be how the stadium is going. You know, the bills is, mm. you know, it's almost a reduction in, well, it is a reduction in capacity. So I'd be inclined to say, I don't know, maybe 70,000. Yeah, you're bang on. It is 70,000. Yeah. Um, but it looks bigger than that. 
Um, I mean, it doesn't look as big as a Wembley Stadium, which is a massive bowl. It's very steep on both sides, you know, yeah. especially the top tiers. So it kind of piles up the people uh, high rather than sort of in that big bowl Wembley style um, or mm. even similar to the Ralph, you know, it's that big, big bowl, um, which means that, you know, you've got great view. It's, it's probably more similar, I suppose, to perhaps uh, the newer sort of stadiums like Spurs and stuff, but, but it's probably steeper than that. Um, but they can add another 30,000 standing and there's sort of around each tier at the back of the seating, there's basically space to stand and there's like a you know place to put your drink and your food. Um, so they can increase it to a hundred thousand, um, but essentially 30,000 people standing. I'm not sure I'd want to stand for, for five hours or so, <laughs> been yeah. quite a while, but, um, mm. but it's still interesting that, that that's uh, something that they do. Um, so obviously you buy a, a different type of ticket. And I think from memory, they talked a little bit about the Bills Stadium doing yeah. that, didn't they? Yeah, I think there's about a thousand of those kind of tickets available where you don't have a seat, but you kind of can stand around and yeah, watch the game from like a nice terrace. I think it's kind of a basketball type of thing. Like I know that when I've like read up about the uh, Golden State Warriors, I think they offer a similar experience that you know you can just kind of roam and you don't have a seat allocated, but you still got I don't know a standing position on a terrace. And you know I think that's kind of a way they look at it in terms of maximizing you know the space available to them is having something kind of premium available like that so yeah it seems to be you know we don't have that in england clearly do we we don't have anything no. um like that um but uh yeah it's definitely an american um initiative and you know with with england there's you know gonna be so safe safe standing at some point but that's a lot different obviously it's still like you know that's one for one really a seat and uh uh, standing space, isn't it? So well, it's I mean, not you, really. You've been powerful. soccer games. Do you remember days yeah. when it, when it was standing? Did you ever go when it was a standing uh, stadium? Not fully. St no, not no. not not quite old enough for that, Charlie. I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sneaky dig. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. I um, I sadly am old enough to remember standing in stadiums, and I really enjoyed standing in stadiums. Obviously, they changed it after you know uh, the Hillsborough disaster, and and stadiums became all seater. But now they've reintroduced some standing and you know so-called safe standing. If you speak to anyone yeah. that's involved, they call it rail seating, and it isn't quite one to one. It's more like uh, one to one and a half. So yeah, there is a oh, it's, okay. yeah you can cram a few more people in and i have experienced it once um i think they they don't do it for the was that bristol city it, no it wasn't actually it was a, it was at manchester city um okay yeah so the, the, there's a few premier league grounds that have that have implemented what they call pilot scheme for rail seating and it, it seems to work pretty well um i have also though watched a full nfl game stood up you know the playoff game uh, last year in um, buffalo against uh, against the bengals um everyone was stood up the whole time and i have to say it was it was a long time to be stood up <laughs> so especially <laughs> having been stood up for the you know the tailgate that's not really a sitting down thing either so you basically stood up all day and you know it's very different standing up at a, a soccer game for 90 minutes versus uh an nfl game for more like four yeah um, you know with all the other stuff that goes around it so um i'm yeah. gonna ask yeah i'm gonna ask a question that i think i know the answer but in england when we attend uh football soccer games uh, there's stewards uh, like there is obviously in the US at uh, the NFL games, but they are trying to get the you know uh, spectators to sit down in their seats mm. and you know not obstruct anyone's view and all that kind. Of, is that I doubt that's a thing in America. They just no. kind of let people stand even though yep. there's seats there. You know, there's no one trying to 
police that and get people no. to sit down, is there? And there is, isn't the sort of tension that you sometimes get with fans where somebody, you know, you get messing with older fans that's younger fans are stood up and they shout at them to sit down. You, you don't get any, any of that stuff. No. I mean, I'm trying to remember. I'm pretty sure when I first went to the Ralph, um, I was sat down the whole time, obviously, apart from when we were celebrating. But certainly that snow game, um, everyone stood up. Obviously, it's a big, bigger game. Um, you know, it's a, it's a big playoff game. And um, it was snowing as well. So maybe people don't want to sit down on a cold bench. Um, so there's a different dynamic there. But yeah, there certainly weren't. I mean, the stewards at NFL games are fairly low key, to be honest. It's not, mm. a, it's not yeah. heavily, it's not a heavily stewarded type of event. Um, mm mm-hmm. Maybe that will change in uh, at Spurs, you know, because people get upset when uh, you know, throw pint glasses at, at Neil <laughs> Reynolds' family or something. But, you know, they'll still hit up the steward elements of that. And I actually do remember. So, yeah. so funny, funny enough, I think it was two seasons ago. I, I think I, I try and remember what the game was. Um, I went to the game or one of the games at Spurs, and I was stu- sat on the first row of the third tier, and I had my there was like a little sort of. A concrete shelf and a, and a rail and I had my pint sat on that and then somebody did come and say hey you know you, you can't leave your pint there you know it might fall off on someone's head um so the, so the students were paying attention <laughs> but there's there's none of that at the NFL but then yeah people, people don't tend to throw their beer around too much at the NFL either so no but no you're right you see these I don't know like you come across it I don't even know how I come across it but they tend to be popular on social media like the NFL you know, fighting in a stadium, it's usually up for Cowboys or an Eagles or, you know, one of these NFC East teams uh, or the Raiders, obviously, they've got that reputation as well where there's fighting and it takes them like two minutes, it feels like, to get anyone, any security, oh, yeah. stewards, police, whatever over to try yeah, and break exactly. it up. And these, so. these guys are often massive, aren't they? And, you know, the stewards yeah. are these sort of spindly folk and, you know, I'm not sure I'd want to wade into that either. But yeah, that, that no. sort of illustrates just how little police and stewarding there is. It always takes forever but they, I mean, mercifully, these these things don't seem to happen very often. I did think it was going to kick off at the, at the playoff game against the Bengals because there was two yeah. guys who were stood in front of us who were being particularly ob- objectionable. And there was, uh, uh, at one point, this, this Bills fan of two rows in front of him turned around and gave them all the verbals and uh, they shut up pretty quickly. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, but it, it's pretty, it's pretty rare uh, to see. Any, well, certainly I've never seen any violence at an NFL game. I know that it does happen in, in time to time, but yeah. Yeah. So this no, is um, this is what we call the, you know, this is definitely the dog days of summer, isn't it? We're into July. Yeah. There's no training camp. There's very little to talk about. The Stefan Diggs yeah. uh, controversy has, has sort of settled down. Um, so we just thought we'd have a chat about what's on our mind, really, didn't we? And uh, talk about yeah. some major topics that perhaps aren't mm. being talked about too much, uh, but are sort of playing on our minds as we head uh, inches very slowly towards uh, training camp and eventually preseason. Mm. Well, I just want to give some context. So. How we got to this is we had planned, and we will do this at some point, but we've done a lot of preparation in terms of a Josh Allen special episode. And it seems like, as you said, dog days of the off-season. It feels like in recent days, a lot of other podcasts are doing exactly the same thing. So we didn't want to, um, you know, add another episode into people's podcasts all about Josh Allen, as much as we love talking about the guy. Like, we want to give everyone a bit of a break. So what's on your mind like? I talked about it. I remember we had a, a similar episode last off season, like the bills are always on my mind and, you know, things like just concerns, you know, certain position groups, my thoughts of that are always, it's always going on in my head. Um, so yeah, we just wanted to bring this back really and just 
freelance it, see kind of what we want to talk about um, and just have an organic conversation about things. So, Charlie, what's your first uh, topic? I think we both picked three each, so we'll see if there's any overlap. And, uh, yeah, just take it from there. What's your first one? Well, I figured we'd probably best at least talk touching on the, the Bean and McDermott uh, contract extensions. Yeah. Um, because that is the one sort of single piece of news that we've had in the last couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, there's certainly a bit of a uh, Bill's Mafia talk about whether McDermott was under pressure. I didn't really hear anything sort of criticism of Bean, but there was definitely a, a feeling is, is McDermott, you know, taking the bills as far as he can. And I think it's an interesting debate um, yeah. whether... I mean, we've obviously had a massive stabilization of this this organization since this being came in. I mean, not, not most people listening will remember the the you know, the twenty odd years we had of, of 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 pretty dire football and not making the playoffs. And you know, when McDermott come in, he makes the playoffs with a really pretty poor team, and and then we rebuild, and then we've made the playoffs every every year since. And we've been in there and then in the mix, and arguably had. Um, one of the best rosters in football for for a couple of years, and yet we can't quite get to the Super Bowl. Um, and I think that some people are frustrated with that, and there was some debate about whether McDermott really taken as far as he could. Interestingly, obviously Leslie Frazier went, which is looking more and more like a kind of mutual parting of the ways than it is a, you know, Leslie Frazier just just saying right, I'm going to go. I, I think this is a, a, a this is a McDermott move to try and take a bit more control because the defense hasn't been been great in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, it's, so it's interesting. I mean, I personally, uh, I'll come on to you what you think in a second, but I personally yeah. am perfectly happy. I think that it's incredibly difficult to find coaches that can win this many games in a regular season um, in a very, very strong AFC to do so consistently. And what we've had is, I, I think, most years you've seen some improvements from, from McDermott. Um, I think it's very easy to take that for granted. And I think you can gamble, of course, and say, well, that's, you know, he's taken as far as we can. We need to bring in someone else. But who are you going to bring in? Who, who's going to guarantee you a Super Bowl? You know, nobody. Once you get into the playoffs, it really is a bit of a lottery. You know, the, the best team doesn't always win. And I think you've just, I would always take regular success over over gambling the future of the organization. And, and you know, maybe success is a little bit strong, but regular seasons where you are winning 10 to 12 games a season um you know <laughs> that, yeah. that that to me is is important how, how do you see it were you did you have any doubt that there was they were on the hot do you, do you think they were on the hot seat no. there was a few people saying that they they, they should and, and might be no i don't think so i think they're under contract for three seasons before that one year was added on um i do have a little bit of a take on it though i do feel like you know with the stefan dig stuff uh you know that's happened and you know all the events that happened at the end of last season. I wouldn't be surprised if this is kind of a power play to remind the, the players that, you know, being a McDermott, they are the ones that are in control of this team. They are the ones that have the power. It's for coaches in this front office and it's not any one player in that uh, locker room. You know, I do feel like this is kind of sends another message to say, you know, we are the boss and we're kind of telling you what to do and you kind of got to put up and shut up. And I don't think this is the last of the whole Diggs thing. Like, it's very quiet and settled now. And I don't expect anything to happen, you know, obviously training camp or, you know, even during the season. But if, if things aren't going right for the Bills, because this division, I think about it more. And I still think the Bills are the favourites. But 
I'm thinking about it more and it's going to be really hotly contested this season. I just feel like, you know, things don't quite go our way. If, there's going to be a lot of pressure on this team. And if something doesn't quite click, if the offense isn't firing, if we're not, you know, if, if we're losing these close games, um, we only lost by a combined what, eight points, like in the three games we, we lost last season. So they're tightly contested. But if things just don't go right, I do feel like they're, you know, that could potentially build you know, we know what Stefan Diggs is like on the social media. I think he's he's clever and he uses that to his leverage. Uh, you know, he leverages the social media. I, I do see, um, you know, a situation potentially next season, next off season, if it doesn't work out, you know, he could potentially go. I think it's still more likely that he stays, but I'm just saying that there's a path there that I can see that if things go wrong and we don't have the successful season that we think we're going to have, that you know, this discontent could bubble up. You think as well, McDermott's put more pressure on himself uh, this season. The pressure's already high based on how he like, failed another off-season and how he flamed out against the Bengals. You know, he's taken reins of his defence and that's more... You know, he's got their more responsibility trying to you know improve that defence. If that defensive front, for example, doesn't improve, uh, all onus is going to be in even more... You know, I just feel like he's got even more responsibility and stuff. Like, you know, sports fickle at the end of the day. And even if the Bills don't achieve what they expect to achieve, you know, I think he's got at least two seasons leeway. Um, you know, if yeah. we don't yeah. if we're not successful this season, he's gonna get another season. They deserve that next season, even if they aren't successful this season. Um and you think of the NFL, it's not like the Premier League. The Premier League has only 20 teams in. 20 teams could win the Premier League at all times. Obviously, there's a bigger, a wider gap as well, you know, with the financial side of things. The NFL, you know, is pretty even playing field, but there's 32 teams. And all of those 32 teams, as long as they, you know, manage their rosters right and bring in the right coaches and that kind of thing, they can all have certain windows. You know, every team in the NFL should have a window to achieve some level of success, whether that's, you know, and that, I don't know, the, the, the bottom, uh, the, you know, the, the lowest expectation would be winning a uh, division title. Like, But in 10 seasons, you expect that you'd have that opportunity at least once if you manage correctly. Whereas, you know, I just think that, yeah, it makes it, really difficult to win in the NFL we know that but the fact that it's so competitive you know we can't just expect you know McDermott and Bean um, you know to, to actually do it we might not do it you know we might not win the NFL but I like the, the odds more of them being in charge and as you said winning 12-13 games and always being in the playoffs with Josh Allen you know I'll take that take those odds against you know doing a full-on rebuild and, you know, something ever happened to Josh Allen. Let's uh, bloody hope not over the next 10 years or something. But, uh, yeah, so I just think overall, you know, with the dig situation, just coming back to this, like, uh, and what the extension looks like, you know, there could be a path to dig going. I said about Tredavis White as well. I think if if there's two players, you know, I don't think, you know, even if the Bills, like, really had a bad season. They're not going to obviously tear it all down and start again. You know, there might be a couple of players that have to be moved on, you know, to help cap and to help us be more competitive. I can see a path of that being Diggs and potentially Tredavis White. We're not save meet. that much with Diggs though, are we? I mean, it's, uh, I think we're still no. tied to him for another couple of years, aren't we? If, uh, if I remember correctly. I think, yeah, I think if it's a June 1st designation, because you can have two designations. If you designated a release before then, uh, I, 
but after then then it, you can save quite a bit of cap but yeah you know i think that's the only route for I mean, it to happen we're not gonna be not, able to trade him or anything no it's not easy to get a star wide receiver um and he's one of the top five in the league in my opinion so i think keeping him happy is a good idea you know if, if Diggs is happy the bills are winning and I'm, I'm sure they will resolve that it will be very interesting when he comes out and talks and if you remember when um when he joined the Bills, there was a question in a press conference that implied that the journalist knew why he'd left the Vikings and what he was upset about. And Dig sort of smiled wryly and said, "Well, what is it? What is it you think that you know I did? What do you think that? Why do you why do you think I left?" And, and it was, and he basically said, "Look, I didn't tell anybody what my problem was. I didn't I didn't share it publicly." And I don't think we're ever going to hear Diggs' side of this. Uh, I think he'll, 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 assuming that things calm down, he'll say, "Hey, it was just some, you know, normal, normal stuff we need to work on, and 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 how we can get better as a team." And it'll be super vague, and we'll, we'll never get to hear it. I mean, we can all get our suspicions about what it would be, but I have a feeling that he'll keep his counsel, and which is fine, and I respect that. I just wish he wouldn't put all this stupid shit on. <laughs> on on, on uh, uh, yeah. social media because it's on yeah. one hand he's saying oh, I'll keep it all, I'll keep it all to myself and we'll keep it in house and on the other hand he'll he'll post these very cryptic things on uh, on social media and he knows what he's doing he's a, he's a, he's a bright guy um, this yeah. isn't some idiot you know he's a very very smart man Stefan Diggs so yeah. um, you know well look there's a reason why the wide receiver group are known as sort of more of the diva-ish end of the of the, the, the football spectrum but I agree with you I think that. I think this is a, a note from Terry to say, all right, you know, with this, this team is bigger than one superstar and we're just yeah. going to reinforce. I think I heard that that deal was actually done for a while. It was just that then that was when they chose to release it. So um, yeah, exactly. I, I think, um, I think it's a, it's a good move. It, it reinforces the strength of their position and uh, they're not going to be bullied by, by, by a player. I'm not saying that's what's happening. I'm just, it, it seems interesting that that's the timing. Uh, they needed a bit, of, yeah. a bit of good PR and uh, that's, that's when it, they slipped it out. So cool. All right. So what's, uh, what's your, what's your first thing on your list? Uh, things are on your mind. Yeah, so when I was looking at various statistics about Josh Allen and the team when we're preparing for this Josh Allen episode, which will happen in the next coming weeks, um, I was looking at uh, some interesting facts and came to the conclusion that you know we're talking about the wide receiver room out of Stefan Diggs, and I'm not going to talk any more about Stefan Diggs now. Um, but I was looking at just the, the drop percentage uh, over the last few years. So in 2020, which was kind of Josh Allen's breakout season, um, there was only four and a half percent drops. Uh, in 21, uh, 2021, it was five and five point seven percent. In 2022, six point eight percent, which is 37 drops basically uh, across the season, and that's uh, a 12 additional drops uh, if you compare 2020 season to 2022. The reason why I bring that up is when you look at this wide receiver core. Um, you look at it and there's no real clear plug and play like proven veterans. It's, you know, uh, we, we we looked at it last season and there was definitely room for optimism. We liked a lot of the guys that were there. You know, we thought that uh, Jameson Crowder, especially, you know, he was that proven veteran a year younger, I think, than uh, Cole Beasley or quite a few years younger, actually, than Cole Beasley. And we thought they'd kind of step in seamlessly and uh, play that role. And who knows, that might have happened had he not got injured really early in the season. 
But um, you look at kind of the options. We certainly got options there. We got the Trent Sherfields and Deontay Harty and Khalil Shakir, who we all like. He's a fan favourite, but um, for whatever reason, he doesn't really seem to be in the uh, the McDermott's best books. And then Dalton Kincaid, which we're all you know hopeful of, and we think we'll he'll see some slot looks there. But I just look at that and the fact that you know Cole Beasley in his prime. Like you look at twenty. Uh, 20 and 2021 20, in both of those seasons he had 82 receptions each you look at last season Dawson Knox and Gabe Davis they had a com- not combined so they both had 48 receptions each so that's you know nearly half of what Beasley had as the second wide receiver in those two seasons he only as well Cole Beasley had two drops out of the uh, 82 receptions um, that he was able to grab in and I think he had over 100 targets that season so only two drops and you just think of how you know important Cole Beasley was to this team and I know we brought him back but he had quite a high drop rate for when he was actually back with the Bills he didn't play much obviously but when he was back he wasn't the Cole Beasley and we can't expect him to be the Cole Beasley um you know is he even under contract Cole no, Beasley? I, think I, I believe he's retired I believe he's uh he's just hung out. Up. yeah I think what he yeah. said was unless he was on a team for pre-season he was going to retire and of course, the, the, we've still got a few weeks to go, but I'm pretty yeah. sure that he's um, he's not going to get picked up by anybody. I mean, he, he did say yeah. that you know not being there in preseason was a was a big issue. You know, he just just obviously it's a new play caller, so the, the, you know there will be obviously huge overlaps with what uh, Brian Dable was doing. But essentially, it's a it's a new play caller with new ideas. So um, I think that 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 he suffered. I, mean, I think that you know it's a shame how Beasley left the Bills the first time because I think it. It yeah. left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, and he was a hell of a player. I mean, I'll still never forget that so game crucial. against Dallas in uh, Thanksgiving, where he absolutely ripped them to shreds. And you know, he, he was yeah. doing more, more deeper stuff. And you know, you mentioned about his drop rate. Obviously, he's playing a lot more underneath, where you know it's a little easier, perhaps, than you know where mm. where Gabriel Davis is playing, where everything's coming over your shoulder. Um, you should expect those drop rates to be higher. But but still, he was. I think he was one of the best slot receivers in the league, if not the best slot receiver yeah, in the league. Definitely. There's no doubt in my mind that Dalton Kincaid has been brought in to be essentially that big slot, um, you know, yeah. to be that underneath guy. Um, obviously a very different style of player to Cole Beasley, but I think that's the role that they have in yeah. mind. And um, it, it's, it's interesting you raised about the wide receiver room because I have this debate in my mind, you know, with Gabriel Davis. I don't, I think that if Gabriel Davis plays well this year, and I think we will see an uptick in his performance, you know, he's free of injuries, hopefully. Um, I think he'll get used better because um, the wide receiver room with, with Kincaid and um, Deontay Harday and, and Trent Sherfield, I think it is a better room than last year. Um, and I think that'll mean that that Davis is used in in more traditional ways than, than he was previously. Um, but I think that if he plays well, he's going to be, he's going to be priced out of the Bills re-signing him. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a really good chance the Bills pick in you know, the first two picks next draft, a wide receiver. I think they'll have to, if he plays badly, we're going to need, we're going to need a wide receiver too. So either way, it, it feels to me that, that Davis is not likely to stay on the Bills. I mean, we know how much they think of him, but you play too, too well, you're going to want a lot of money. If you don't play well, we're going to need a wide receiver too. So yeah, how happy is he going to be with that? I think, yeah, this is a big year for for Gabriel Davis, but I'm just not sure we're going to put we're going to I'm not sure we're going to pay two guys and pay Davis and yeah. and, and 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 Diggs. Now maybe you're right, maybe maybe things with Diggs decline and we we end up having to rip rip that room up. But um, I think 
the t- signings of Sherfield and, and Hardy have improved the floor of this wide receiver room. And then you add Kincaid into the mix, which the more I think about it, the more I look at tape of him, the more I mm-hmm. think about the scheme changes they're going to apply, the more excited I am. I, I just think that there are so many ways that you can make the defense wrong when you've got such a talented big guy like that. Um, he gets open and we know what Josh is like. He likes to throw to guys that get open. And uh, that was what Cole Beasley did so well. Um, mm. you know, Stefan Dick said it himself. It's, Beasley's always yeah. open. Maybe I'm just being a bit cautious because obviously he's going to be a rookie. And we know that we've, um, you know, we, we haven't really drafted too many offensive players. You know, mm. um, Kincaid's the first like skill position offensive player that we've actually drafted in the first round. So we know that on the defensive side, when they've drafted players in the first round, you know, they almost pretty much start as week one and, you know, get a lot of exposure, like a thousand snaps, um, you know, each season, you know, pretty much a regular full-time players. But, you know, so hopefully I'm just being cautious because I'm thinking of clear, um the Kears and, you know, the guys that have come in that have not really played. And I'm thinking, surely Kincaid, you know, based on the fact that they've been using, you know, the first round players quite a bit, you know, that they will use him and they will, you know, he, he won't have a slow start. But then you think, you know, he's a tight end. Are they really going to make him, you know, a predominantly slot player? Would he be the first choice slot player? Like, I just wondered to myself, like, what is his true impact going to be? So what's your next one then, Charlie? So um, it's one that theoretically I I feel really excited about, but actually I want to just take, I just want to ponder it a little bit, which is we should have a fit Jordan Poyer and a fit Micah Highback, and yeah. you know these are two Pro Bowl level guys, and um, that should be really exciting for the Bills. And I think that it's important that they're back. I think especially with losing Edmonds, um, I think. I think they can cover up for, for some weaknesses there, especially in the coverage game. Um, to have those two guys back, I think is huge. But I think one of the things that's not really been talked about too much is their age. You know, these guys mm-hmm. are, you know, at the end towards the end of their careers, uh, probably playing one or two more seasons maximum. And we just don't know what kind of physical state they're going to be in, um, whether they're going to be able to play at that sort of level and, and operate in the same way that we have seen in the past. So I think that, you know, I'm, I love Micah Hyde, you know, more than almost anything. So I'm so happy to see him back and, and fit. And obviously he was supposedly going to be a, ready to play the the next round of the playoffs if uh, should we have made it through. So he obviously been fit and recovered for quite some time after that neck injury. Um, and Poyer obviously played, well, many, many weeks hurt in a variety of different ways, including that sort of awful elbow injury. So I just think having those two guys back in, in principle, should be a massive plus for the Bills. Uh, but equally, they are that much older. They're going to be more uh, subject to injuries. And um, that's that's a concern. And it's going to be just interesting to see to what extent they they sort of play in um, rap and to what extent they play in sort of DeMar Hamlin. That is a deep room, uh, which is which is fantastic. It's one of the r- real strengths of the Bills. And whether we start to see the sort of transition towards, you know, maybe Taylor Rapp being the guy next year, um, or for, for one of them, um, I don't know. How do you how do you see it? We haven't prepared this, we haven't talked about this. I'm just interested mm. in what you think. But I think it's not it's not a topic that's been talked about too much. Um, so uh, th- these guys are getting you know towards the twilight of their careers. So are you concerned just about the fact that they're getting older and their injuries and stuff? Like, are they going to lose that like 
um, you know, extra, you know, a little bit of acceleration they might have had two, three years ago, kind of thing. That that, that plus, you know, as you get older, you are more injury prone. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that that is that is a fact, um, and I think it's a coincidence that we were without both of them at, at times last year. So, um, or certainly without Hyde and something without a fully yeah. fit Poyer. So, I think it is a concern. Um, I think they are a hell of a duo. You may have seen the Bills release a little uh, uh, clip today, which I thought was quite nice about the two of them being back and returning. And it just made me think, yeah, I am excited and I want to see them fulfill what their careers deserve. I, I think that they're, they're two players that I admire greatly because they didn't come from, you know, these guys weren't first round draft picks. These these guys were, you know, developed by the Bills. They, they came from, from other positions. And I think that, you know, Mike Heiser wasn't wasn't especially well used at Green Bay, and I just think that it's nice to see them really fulfil what they have the potential to be. And I hope that we can put a really nice playoff run together with them before they yeah. retire. So, yeah, for me, I think Micah Hyde. I don't really see. Uh, I'm not too concerned. Like I think that's his like first serious injury that he's had with the Bills. I think he's been like a never present that's been part of this uh, safety group. I think uh, John Poy is the one that I'd be a little bit more concerned about um, just because it feels like he's had a multitude of injuries. Michael Hyde, it's just been really the neck. That was clearly serious, but at least to, you know, he was saying that he was going to be ready to go had we beaten the Bengals and made it to the AFC Championship. So I feel like, you know, I think he's going to be in a real, you know, good physical condition and I'm not concerned with Micah Hyde. I think that you know, Micah Hyde is probably one of the most well we, we know it as Bills fans underrated you know players probably on this Bills team you know that's highlighted about um, just kind of how poor we ended up this season um, you know finished the season. I think if Micah Hyde was there then you know we'd have played defence a lot better. Uh, I think that going into this season I think it's going to be at a high level Jordan Poy, I feel like, you know, they might have hedged their bets with him by bringing Taylor Rapp in. I don't mm. think that he's going to be a backup Taylor Rapp. I feel like they're going to play more dime and he's going to be on the field a bit more. You who know, you take, gonna... Who are you taking off the field for, for him? Uh, what, 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 what do you anticipate? Because they're not going to take Taron Johnson off the field, yeah. presumably. Um, yeah, no, well, I was thinking is maybe they might go dime and nickels. So they play like six lots of defensive backs and have Matt Milano with them, you know, with the four-man mm. front. As well, you know, because I feel like, you know, Taylor Rapp, he's not the biggest guy, but he's physical. He can come down in the box. Jordan Poy can do the same thing. Michael Hyde can do to a certain degree, but he's more of that ball hawk. So I'd prefer him to be that, you know, single high safety if, if we're going to have to play one um, at the back, you know, keep him there. Mm. And, um, you know, Teron Johnson, he's a really good run defender. He's probably one of our better run defenders, well, especially great, from great you know, tackler, the, back, yeah. the back seven kind of you know, defenders, you know, he's arguably like a linebacker himself. So, um, yeah, I could see them playing quite a few defensive backs, but maybe not, you know, clearly they're going to be more multiple. I think we talked about that. I think they're going to be more multiple. So, yeah, you might have three safeties. You might have, you know, three cornerbacks on the field um, altogether, potentially. But that doesn't mean that's what they're going to be on the field, you know. Taylor Rapp can become a linebacker one play, but they could disguise things. They could move defenders into different areas of the field. Um, you know, blitz with those guys. Teron Johnson, he's been a good blitz, you know, before. Hopefully, we'd have to blitz as much this season. But, um, yeah, I, I feel like... Oh, I think um, we'll blitz more. 
I think we'll blitz more. Do you I think, think so? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think we will. I think what we'll see is um, uh, maybe some uh, simulated pressures where perhaps they they drop one of the offensive linemen and and they rush, you know, you know, a, a safety or um, or a Taron Johnson, yeah. someone like that, or Matt Milano. I think that McDermott's nature is to be aggressive uh, from his days in Philadelphia. And I suspect we'll see a bit more of that. So I, I actually think they will play a bit more man. I think they'll, they'll, they'll blitz more. And I think, yeah. I think there'll be more, I think there'll be some variety. I think it'll be a lot less sort of just cover two, no matter what uh, type, type, type situation. So uh, I, mean, I might be wrong, but um, that's, that's, that's mm-hmm. my, my feeling. Um, I mean, of course, you know, with, with the Floyd in um, some yeah. beefier defensive tackle group and, uh, Von Miller coming back, we should be able to get plenty of organic pressure. But I mean, Leonard Floyd is a yeah. guy who you could drop into coverage. You know, um, I think you could drop Greg Rousseau into coverage a little bit um, and just yeah. confuse offenses a little bit more. Just be a bit more variable. Yeah, I think that's it. Like, it gives us more options because there's certain teams that we're going to be playing, like the Dolphins twice. There's no way we're going to be manning up and being overly aggressive with those guys. I think, you know, that's the perfect team to play, you know, cover six, quarters, mm-hmm. um, yep. you know, all the high coverage um, that they expect to see, you know, the Dolphins. But if you're playing against the Patriots, for example, you know, they're not got anyone really that's going to really uh, test you vertically. And, no. you know, you can man up and, you know, uh, I think we won't blitz as much. I think we'll see some more man coverage. Though. I think that's, if we're going to be aggressive, assuming this is, because I think our defensive front's better, especially if we get Von Miller back, healthy week one. If we see that, and Von Miller is available most of the season, if not all of the season, I think that they're going to try and have that organic four-man rush, and then they'll change up the coverages behind that. I think yeah. there's going to be a bit more man, though. Um, not, you know, zone's going to be always this more predominant, uh, coverage that you're going to be running um but man I, I do think that's going to slightly increase you can't just live in zone uh in this day and age you need to you know man up and Kyrie Elam you know cornerback he, he's perfect for that um you know he's going to be a better scheme fit than what we've had with Levi Wallace and those guys before so yeah no I'm excited about this defense I think you know I think a lot of areas and it sounds obviously cliche and we're this this does seem obvious, but we're not going to know until the season starts. We talk about this wide receiver room, but I don't think we quite know how that's going to shake out and you know who's really going to step up and, and be the answers. And thinking about just quickly going back to the receiving game, like how we're going to bring these running backs into it. I feel like there was a drop-off and we didn't really use running back in the passing game. Like we brought Naomi Hines, Hines in and we drafted James Cook and you know we didn't really use them in you know for what we perceived to be their strengths and why we brought them into this organization so Mm. um, I feel like a lot of this team like we we know the players we're confident that you know our floor is higher and we've improved in pretty much all areas that we can improve in but I don't know if we know quite how things are going to play out like when we had Diggs, Brown, Beasley kind of new what I received. Yeah, we knew what the game plan was going to be, didn't we? Yeah. Exactly. You and I make quite a lot of money just just looking at the (laughs) the opposition saying this is going to be a busy game it's going to be a Diggs game. (laughs) So, Well, that that first season in 2020 when Diggs joined us, I don't know what the betting markets, you know, what what they were thinking because every single time he hit me over, I think they had it at like four and a half most of the time. And he routinely have six, seven, eight catches a game. So yeah, we made a 
we were very successful that season. But uh, <laughs> they've, they've wised up, haven't they? Yeah, uh, indeed. All right. So, so moving on, what's your uh, your next big topic? Yeah. So this is quite a quick one, really, and it's we kind of touched on upon it. And this is um, our offense and how often we're blitzed on how often Josh Allen is blitzed. I was looking at that. I was quite interested. So obviously before Josh Allen broke out in 2020, you know, there was perception and, you know, understandably as well about Josh Allen, the fact they hadn't at that point proven anything, you know, everyone knew about his own quote unquote inaccuracies and, you know, the fact that, you know, you could blitz him, pressure him, you know, make him make some, you know, of those kind of decisions that we saw as a rookie uh, in his sophomore season as well. But it's interesting. So from 2020, he had 244 uh, dropbacks that he was blitzed. And then every single season after that, it has been a significant drop-off. 20 to 21, there was 60, quickly do math here, 62 less blitzes. So it went from 244 to 182. And then between 21 and 22, it went from 182 to 144. So in the span of three seasons, we've seen 100 less blitzes on Josh Allen. And I think that... Mm. The reason for that is obviously Josh Allen has turned into a cerebral you know, elite passer that you know is able to read the defense's pre-snap and see what's happening post-snap. But it's also, you know, that, that blitz rate is going down, I feel like, because of the, you know, I feel like defenses that are facing Josh Allen and this offense, like they're getting confidence that, you know, we haven't got necessarily the receivers. Um, that we had in 2020 and 21 that we talked about that can win in those short and intermediate areas of the field. Like if you doubled Dicks, then what do we really have? We have Gabe Davis, who's an elite, not an elite. It's a very good elite, very good vertical he's not um, wide receiver. <laughs> no, he's not elite. We can confirm that he's not elite. But since Cole Beasley's kind of left and he's like, we have in 2022, we saw that we haven't got that, you know, player that can win in the short intermediate areas of the field. Hopefully that's what Dalton Cading can do and give us an upgrade straight away in week one if that's how we determined to deploy him. So it was just well, interesting to me. Like it surprised me. Hundred less blitzes is just pretty crazy, you know, considering yeah. you know, we have what, I don't know, four hundred dropbacks uh, and pass attempts a game. You know, I also think that more. Josh is so good at avoiding pressure. Um you know I think yeah. one of the the most effective plays in football is is uh, Josh escaping the pocket and scrambling. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think that the statistics yeah. sort of say that it's the, the one of the most effective, if not the most effective, play in football. Um, so, I, I think the other thing is just sort of link into this. Actually, my third point, uh, so we can sort of yeah. seamlessly go into this, is that I think Dawson Knox is going to have a big year. And everyone's talking yeah. about uh, Dalton Kincaid, and I think rightly so. I'm, I'm very excited about myself. But I think that teams are going to be forced to pick their poison with against the Bills. And I think that, you know, when they do this sort of self-scouting, you've got to say about this Bills team is they always tend to learn. Dawson Knox was open a lot, especially in the second half of the season. He just wasn't used very much. I, I don't mm-hmm. anticipate his role changing dramatically because we've got Dawson Kincaid. I think Dawson Kincaid will... Don't Dawson Kincaid. Dalton Kincaid. <laughs> I'm going to do that all season, I'm sure of it. Yeah. Dalton Kincaid is is going to um, essentially take over wide receiver two duties, in my, my opinion. I think that he will be, maybe not in the first half of the season, but by the end of the season, I think he'll be he'll be getting the sort of second most most targets behind Diggs. Um and I think that the Dawson Knox's role will stay the same. 
But I think that all that attention going towards Kincaid, who is going to be a, a mismatched nightmare, is going to open things up. You know, if they've got, uh, you know, one one rangy linebacker, you're going to put him on Kincaid. Uh, that's going to weaken their mm-hmm. ability to, to cover Knox, who is a, you know, an impressive athlete in his own right, let's not forget. You know, he's right up yeah. there with the best athletes in, in the league. Now, he's not a top-rated tight end, but he absolutely has the potential to be that. He scored some incredible touchdowns last year. Uh, mm-hmm. one, was it against the Jets where he kind of did a backflip and over the line? Um, yeah. Was, that was that was incredible. So I, I just think that, that Dawson Knox has been paid. I think he's a hard worker. I think that the Bills will use him more um, or more effectively, let's say. And I think that um, the, the fact that Kincaid's come in is going to do Dawson Knox a favor and he's going to get even more favorable matchups. So, so don't sleep mm. on Dawson Knox is what something yeah. I can say. Yeah. I hope that we don't just use, because it felt like primarily Dawson Knox is role was in that red zone and he was really effective there you know he does score a good amount of touchdowns um because obviously for josh Allen running threat if he scrambles to his right then there's not really much hope for any defenses to stop that especially when you're at the one yard two yard line but you know i hope that he's used a little bit more you know in our own half and you know he, he you know because he was a reliable target and can you remember all the talk of him and his drop rate and all that mm. stuff and he's completely improved that and he's, he's done such a good job improving his drop rate um and i feel like yeah as you said he i feel like he can be utilized uh in, in other areas you know he could be a reliable you know, he, he was last season with joint second uh you know reception leader but i feel like he could probably be our second, you know, highest targets as well. Gabe Davis got that by a clear amount. But if we want a bit more 12 personnel um, and, you know, get both tight ends on the field, I feel like it's going to be, that, that that in itself is going to create some opportunities. There's going to be some, you know, soft zones that they can win. Because they're going to expect him to run. And, you know, they can obviously, um, you know, disguise themselves and, you know, find these uh, soft zones uh, in behind the linebackers. So mm. I feel like, yeah, they're, they're t- I, I feel like as well, we need to petition, you know, they've got the same, um, you know, initials. So Dawson, <laughs> Kincaid, I'm quite happy to talk about them DK. like that because, you know, they're going to be a team, they're going to be a tandem. I do expect to, you know, a, a decent amount of uh, 12 personnel. So I think we can probably talk about them in the same light. So Dawson, Kincaid, let's, uh, let's start we'll that movement. Let's just... It was yeah. DK one and DK two. Uh, what's 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 <laughs> Kincaid's number? Do you know what his number is? Oh, so not eighty-eight. Is it is eighty-one? I sure. feel like let's give it a quick Google now. We've yeah. gone this far, haven't we? This is always good, good, good radio, good podcasting. As man looks up things yeah. on the internet, but um, yeah, we just need to know because we're going DK eighty-eight and DK whatever the other number is eighty-six. Oh, okay. So DK six, DK eight eight. Maybe eighty seven. Meet him halfway. I don't know who is eighty seven <laughs> on on the bills. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but uh, uh, sure, actually, because doesn't Sweeney eighty nine? Uh, I think he was. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Anyway, so yeah, let's, that, 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 <laughs> well, well, you can tell it's the off season. The, the wheels are off, really, aren't they? Um, what's your last sort of talking point? What, uh, anything else on your mind? Just because why I paused and didn't say anything, Jalen Wayne, who's like a undrafted free agent, is B87. So I don't think there's any concern right. about, you know, I think that would become available. So maybe we can turn them 87. In fact, I well. we'd, we'd even sign him. So Yeah. Nah. <laughs> so my final point is kind of linked to the, you know, what we talked about earlier with the defense and, you know, especially the, 
you know, back seven and what that's going to look like. But linebacker, you know, they've got all of these guys, you've got the Dorian Williams, your Tel Bernard. Of course, we talk about these guys so much. And although the linebacker position isn't considered like a, uh, you know, it is an important position, but it's not a premium position. You know, you can find guys. Um, and obviously, with more nickel front, you only played two linebackers anyway. So that's kind of lost its value. But I feel like linebacker is still one of the hardest positions to actually play, especially on defense, because you're in the middle of the field. You know, you're having to dissect, you know, plays in milliseconds and determine is it an RPO? Is it a run play is it play action do i have to go vertical who do i man up on all that kind of stuff like it's a really difficult position to 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 learn and i'm just thinking like who's going to win this job and you know, how worried are we about being exposed in the middle field for me um you know it depends i feel like you know as we talked about i think we're going to see more of those defensive backs play um, but just from a physical standpoint, Tremaine Edmonds, mm. we know how much of a specimen he is. And Doran Williams, you know, although he looks quite a bit like him uh, facially, and he's got the dreads and all that kind of stuff, which is all cool. But he doesn't, he's not, he's not got the size of him and, you know, that physical ability. Um, I am know, worried about so... getting run on. I am definitely worried about getting run on. I'm trying to think who and we And that was had. a problem with, you know, Tremaine Edmonds. He was yes. a lot better last season, you know. But, yeah. you know, we looked at Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. We thought we had a really good um, linebacker tandem. You know, one of the better ones in the league. It was still a problem. And I know part of that was the defensive front. And we've done a lot of work on that, which did therefore improve the linebacking core. But it just makes me think, you know, Matt Milano, we've seen him at his best. And especially last season when he was first team All-Pro, we've seen him at his best next to Tremaine Edmonds. So are we asking too much of him as well? Like, can we expect? a little bit of regression just purely because we he will be playing again uh, alongside someone that he's not got that same familiarity I'm going to butcher that you know same experience with um, <laughs> same you know, familiarity so <laughs> that's says. it yeah oh my god yeah I really butchered that uh, <laughs> we must but, be coming um, to the end of our energy levels here. <laughs> yeah, I so, think we are. It's nearly yeah. nine o'clock here, so yep. uh, we were crashing. I think, but just all of that, like in the melting pot, like you know, could we expect? You know, Matt Milano has been great. He's one of my favourite players. He's a beautiful guy as well. I always have to bring that up. Um, you know, but he's a do-it-all guy, and he's done that alongside Tremaine Edmonds. You know, can we expect him to be that same Matt Milano that we love? And, you know, clearly the Bills think he is, you know, got that extension. He's got more guaranteed money. So um, I, I think he can be, but it just worries me the whole like, linebacking core and kind of what we can expect to see in coverage and in the run defense. Just uh, mm-hmm. middle of a field, that's where you get exposed a lot in the, in the, uh, in the league, you know. The Dolphins, and I'll keep bringing them up, but they're going to be running across the field a lot with Waddle and Hill. You know, they're hard enough to stop, you know, with their speed anyway. And when you yeah. have Tremaine Edmonds in the middle of the field, that exposes you a little bit more to that kind of stuff. So, I think what do you think? What are your thoughts about it? Ed- Edmonds, and this is the underrated thing because you can't measure things that don't happen, but I think he took away a lot of those plays across the middle just due to his height. And uh, we don't have that you know, height, speed, size guy anymore. I, I think we can scheme the coverage stuff. I, I just think it's the run game that worries me. And I think this is where someone like Puna Ford might find himself being brought in. Um, uh, you know, that, that sort of second option, uh, one tech, I think is now much more robust. So I do feel better about it. Um, but I mean, I, I'm trying, trying to just trying to think. When was the last time we were really run on badly? Was it that Colts game two seasons ago? 
because um, I think we, from memory, we seem to yeah. control Chubb pretty well last year. Um, yeah. I think Derek Henry had a couple of big uh, runs against us uh, the uh, year before, but it, it was that Jonathan Taylor game against Indianapolis where we absolutely got decimated. Um, that I think that was the last time uh, that we really got run on heavily. So I think they've actually done a pretty good job of, you know, given the fact we haven't had the beefiest defensive tackle group to, to, to control. Yeah. It. The problem is when it happens, it feels so bad that you're terrified of it happening again. And I think that's, that's my concern. Um, probably the data doesn't really back me up as it being a sort of an area to be paranoid, but um, I'm also trying to think about who we're playing this year and how many of those are going to run on us. I mean, the, the Patriots for sure. Um, will want to rush on us. Um, yeah, I mean, the Jets uh, as well, I suspect. We'll, yep. we'll see a hefty amount mm -hmm. of run game from, from Brees Hall. Um, who else do we play that has a sort of decent running back? Obviously, there's um, the Raiders. Um, yeah, they're going to run on us. Um, but it's not, it's not too bad, is it? It's not, it's, mm. it's not. Well, yeah, I feel like you know. The, all, all the running back groups in the league because there's such a surplus of running backs. Like clearly, there's a few teams that have the Christian McCaffrey's and you know of the world and you know, Derek Henry's, but you know everyone has a pretty good running back group. Um, and there's only a handful of elite running backs, so it feels like yeah, as you said, when we played against these, you know. Uh, these elite running backs, you know, Derek Henry, like we usually keep them pretty quiet for you know what they are able to do against other teams. It's kind of a team that you don't really suspect um, that seem to have good days against us. Mm, um, yeah, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but I know that that's been an issue uh, in previous seasons. And as you said, you know, there's a Colts game with the Eagles before that. Um, that I remember, I think it was the season before that really damp game with oh, Carson Wentz. Yeah, that was a bad that was a really ugly game. Yeah, and yeah, it just seems to be the teams that don't necessarily have the best um, running backs in the league that they seem to, you know, be able to take advantage. And you know, you think of the Jets and who, who was a running back last season that in that final drive they're just able to run it down our throats and we had no answer. It was um, Michael Carter, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. And he's what they're running back. Two, maybe three now with a Banacanda drafted. He was a sort of value so, draft pick, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think all of these teams are kind of that Shannon Han esque offense and they're all going to mm. want to run it a bit. So, yeah. I don't know. Uh, you hope that that defensive front is going to help that linebacker, but it just makes me think like, who's going to win the job? I'm not too sure. Um, do, if you, if I was to, if you had to bet on like who the two starting linebackers are out, well, two starting, you know it's going to be Matt Milano, but who's that other guy going to be? Like, who would you think it's going to be? Troy Bernard. I think it'll be. Troy Bernard. I mean, I don't, I don't. I'm so underwhelmed by that. Well, I know, like, you know, it's, you know, <laughs> it's you know not the guy's I... fault either, right? No, like, no, no. It's... But you know what I thought about that draft pick? Um, yeah. But I, I think know. they must believe in Terrell Bernard because they could have drafted a, uh, you know, they could have drafted a, a middle linebacker. Uh, yeah. They, they could have brought somebody in. They didn't do that. They went with other positions. I think they've obviously tried to economize at linebacker as we've seen them do in other positions in the past. Uh, but I, I suspect it'll be Terrell Bernard. I mean, whatever it is, I'm confident they'll make the best decision. Um, mm -hmm. I'll be pissed off if it's not Terrell Bernard because, you know, they wasted a, a third round draft pick on him. You know, it's a little bit like the whole Kyrie Elam thing. You know, I mean, if if, <laughs> if it's not Kyrie Elam, then they wasted a, a first round pick. Um, 
so you really hope that it is that one. But with that, all you know, those picks are gone. You know, nothing you can do about it. You got to pick the, the best guy for the job. And um, I do have a horrible feeling it'll be AJ Klein you know, <laughs> for a, for a bit of time. But um, I, I think it'll be Terrell Bernard. I think they'll go for his coverage abilities. He is a decent blitzer as well. Another reason why I think we might uh, we might blitz a bit more. So, um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess it's one of those things. I'm not even sure we're gonna have a great idea in training camp. I, I think it may not be to, totally obvious. Um, no. who we're going to pick. I think they'll give everybody a fair crack of the whip and it may not be till uh, pre-season we start to see something emerging. I was going to say, surely they're going to announce it. They will announce it at some point, either that's during the pre-season games or at the yeah. after all the pre-season games. This because... is Madame we're talking about. He's, he's, oh, he's, not, know, in his, but... he's not in his interest to announce anything. He's going to he's going to keep it vague and vague and we're not going to know probably till the... Um, is it going to matter to an offensive coordinator if you're going against Terrell Bernard or well, it's, um, well, it's a big Lauren difference between, between AJ Klein and Terrell Bernard. Yeah, I mean, one is definitely mm. built for one thing and the other one's built for something else. So I do think yeah. you know, it's not in McDermott's interest. He never gives anything away if it's in his interest to keep it quiet and it's absolutely in his interest to keep it quiet. Mm. So the less you, you know about a team, the, the better from his perspective. Anyway. Quickly, the last... Sorry, I was just going to say the last thing about linebackers, the, the most positive thing about it is not only Matt Milano, but Bobby Babbage is the linebacker coach. He's he done a really good job as in his first year of like making Jermaine Edmonds even better. And obviously Matt Milano even somehow improved his game and became an all-pro. So just the fact we've got him as a linebacker coach, hopefully he can, you know, we've got both of those rookies, you know, three-year, four-year deals. Hopefully, you know, we're able to get some cheap, you know, some good play out of those cheap rookies. Um, and that will help our roster as well. So, yeah, just shout out to him. Very good. All right. So, yeah, well done. If you stay with us through all of our ramblings this off-season dog day <laughs> period, uh, we will be back uh, very soon, actually. We've got an interesting surprise yeah. guest uh, coming on in the next, uh, next few days. So look out for that pod. And we'll be talking a bit more about the London game. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, please do so. We are Bills from Afar on Twitter. Um, I am Charlie underscore sport. He is Tim Rose 90. Um, and uh, yeah, until next time, go Bills. Go Bills.